Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for our radio audience tuning in here at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, joining us are online affiliates around the world. We glad you all could join us as well. Our next guest has written a book that I think will not only take you back in time, but also keep you engaged and fascinated along the way. We're excited to welcome Sarah DeBello to our broadcast today. Her new book is called Broadway Butterfly. We're going to talk to her not only about what it's like for her to write this book, but also to introduce us to this cast of characters and a whodunit that I think will definitely have you guessing. If you guys are just now finding out about Broadway Butterfly, we'll let you know how to be able to get your own copy of it. Sarah, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Sarah. Thank you. The pleasure is definitely all mine. I, I was glad to be able to get an early read of this book, so <laughs> I'm glad to be able to talk to you about it. Sarah, I love the fact, that, and I should say the it also mentions in the title a jazz age thriller, so definitely want to talk to you about that aspect. But what has it been like for you, Sarah, to hear the early response to Broadway Butterfly? I have been overwhelmed and thrilled and grateful and humbled to hear how the book is resonating with everyone from true crime addicts like mm-hmm. myself um, to, you know, people who love historical fiction, to people who just love the roaring 20s, who love the jazz age, and just cannot get enough of the fabulous, fun times that, uh, that the 1920s were. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to to kind of begin this conversation with, because I I thought it was so interesting, two things. One, as I mentioned in my intro, you're taking us back in time, but how timely this book is, I think, Mm. in some respects as well. Have you always had a love of history, Sarah? I have always loved history, Cyrus, much like yourself. I've always loved history. In fact, I minored in history when I was at college just because I loved it so much and just wanted to learn as much as I could. I've always enjoyed reading about it, learning about it. And I think that, you know, we're at a really interesting time right now in our country where I see a lot of people not wanting to look at history or wanting to deny history. And I think that's actually a really dangerous precedent to set because I think if we don't look back at the mistakes we have made, no matter how hard or painful or ugly that truth is, we're never going to do, do better going forward. And I think we need to do better going forward. And so that's why I think it's really important for us always to, to look at, teach, and honor the truth of history. Yeah, such a great point. I'm glad you said that, Sarah. And But you've been able to do something else that I, I find fascinating and I think beneficial, and that is that you've been able to not only to explore your own love of, of, of crime and, you know, and fiction, mm. but given a platform for others to share their own love of it too. Was that just a natural progression for you to be able to have conversations with others who had that shared interest? You know, Sarah, so I have always believed firmly that a rising tide lifts all boats. It's always come natural to me to give back, help others, lend a helping hand. You know, together we rise. I really believe that. And so when the pandemic descended and all of my events were canceled, you know, I was usually out teaching and speaking around the country at various events. All my events were canceled. All everyone's events were canceled. We were all stuck at home. And so it felt really natural for me to just, lend a hand and and pitch in and help my fellow writers get the word out about their books 
um, in the wake of canceled in-person events. And so I started Mystery and Thriller Mavens, which is a volunteer authors helping authors initiative. And every Monday for hashtag Mystery Monday, because Mondays can be murder. We all know that. I uh, I interview uh, two featured authors that I handpick, and my whole theory is my goal is that I connect readers to their favorite writers and introduce them to their next favorite writers. So my goal is yeah. to have something for everyone, no matter what you like to read. Uh, I want you to find that here. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And I think it, it goes to why, of course, you've been able to build the audience that you have and the support, too. And I want to talk to you about that before we dive more into Broadway Butterfly. And that is the, the support from your peers. What has that been like for you mm. to see? Like you said, I mean, again, to, to the point you were just making, you providing a, providing a platform and being able to be able to help others. What has that been like for you to have that support yourself? It's been really wonderful. You know, in the past, I can't believe it's been three years now since the pandemic. Started, but you know, I've interviewed. Um, I, I I stopped counting around 350 interviews. So I've I've done you know a, a couple hundred interviews, three or four hundred, and um and it's been my pleasure to help them you know get the word out about their books. And then it has been such an honor and really lovely to see how you know so many of them have reached back and said, "Let me help you get the word out about your book now." And the other thing I, you know, I think is an, uh, the unsung heroes of the of the book community are bookstagrammers, you know, and those are people who just love to read, love books, love authors, and share their love for for books and for reading on Instagram, um, as well as you know, there's also BookTube for YouTube and Book Twitter for Twitter. But you know, these these folks who just love to read and share their love of reading with others, and I have been overwhelmed with the incredible outpouring of support from the bookstagram community. It's really been so heart filling and so heartwarming. And I just love, you know, how much they love books and how much they love to read and how much they, um, you know, just how much they love to take really cool pictures of books. I mean, there's incredible <laughs> photos out there. Right. That is so true. And and I, I definitely love how we have so many avenues, right, so many ways that we mm. can be able to help to spread the word about books. And especially with social media these days, you know, you never know. I mean, I, I, I have, you know, been able to watch the news sometimes and you see some of these you know, books of grammars featured on the news, you know, because of their yeah. their book recommendations. Yeah, so it really is great. That brings us then to, to Broadway Butterfly because there's uh, several layers that I picked up on for myself there as a reader. And one mm. of the big things for me, of course, I was drawn to, I'm sure you heard this a lot, is Julia. For one, being mm. a an individual who's a reporter at her time, mm-hmm. the type of mm-hmm. reporter that she is, and trying to not mm-hmm. only to prove herself but also to mm-hmm. not get killed in the process – <laughs> yes. Yes. How, how did exactly. how, how did Julia how did Julia come to you? So I tell this story through four points of view, and the primary lead character is Julia Hartman, and she is the lead crime reporter in New York City at this time, and she is also the lead reporter who's covering this case. And what I thought was fascinating: so Julia Hartman is from Memphis, Tennessee. She's a Southern girl, and she heads up north. Um, to, you know, she's covering the, she covers the court beat. She, she starts out on the society pages, as most women did, because the truth was that in 1923, less than 20% of women worked outside the home. Now, that number today is about 60% of women in America work outside the home. But back then, it was less, less than a third of that. And so, you know, we're, we're not talking about that many women, you know, as a whole. 
And the, and the women that did primarily worked in factories, as telephone operators, in domestic service, or in stores, like a shop assistant, sales associate. And not many women worked in newspapers. We're talking about a handful of women. And the very, very, very few women that worked in newspapers primarily covered what was called the ladies' pages. So that is cooking, astrology, advice for the lovelorn, and fashion. You know, the, what women are wearing, what fashion trends are trending. Julia didn't do any of that. Julia was in the hard-hitting, you know, city desk covering the breaking news, and she was covering crime. And she was really, you know, the lone woman to do that. So she goes to Knoxville. She tests herself there on the court beat, and then she says, you know what, I'm going to move to New York City. I want to, give, I want to try, test my mettle there on the Big Apple. So she moves up north. And she gets a job at the New York Daily News, and she quickly becomes the act to beat. So she's not just the lead crime reporter at the New York Daily News. She's the lead crime reporter in the whole New York City. And she is out there covering every scandalous case. And, you know, a lot of people thought women couldn't do that because their delicate constitutions just couldn't handle the violence, the murder, the seediness of life. Um, But she was out there handling it and and quickly became, you know, the act to beat in the entire city. And she's just such an incredible human being. You know, she's one of the pioneering journalists at the turn of the century. This is a woman whose work and career should be taught in, you know, any journalism class, in any journalism school, any journalism program, the history of journalism. And yet this is a woman who's been completely forgotten by time. This is a woman whose name is unknown. And she deserves to to take her rightful place in history. And I am so happy and so proud to play any small role in helping her to do that because she deserves it. Yeah, you know, and I, what I thought about was so interesting. And there's um, that line, and I won't give any context, so I don't want to spoil anything, Sarah. But mm. where Julia's told, um, you know, you have no idea what you're up against. That line plays out in so many different ways in this book for her. Not only, of course, mm. because of her being a woman in that time, but also, of course, what she's being willing to do and how far she's mm. willing to go. It wasn't just a job for her. You know, it was almost a it, duty uh, that, that she felt. Yeah. Did you feel that type of kindred spirit with her in her, her approach to her work? Because it seems like you had the same type of approach in telling a story like this. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for saying that, Cyrus. You know, I think that it was a calling for her. She, you know, journalism has always played an incredibly important role in any society. And journalism is also at a really vulnerable and dangerous point in history right now. And we see, you know, facts being questioned. We see journalism being undermined. But journalism is an incredibly valuable, deeply important part of any free society and any democracy. And um, you know, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. And the, the so-called fourth estate, you know, is, is tasked with, you know, keeping government in line and, and getting truth to the people. And Julia felt an affinity for Dot King. She saw that a woman had been murdered and was being denied justice, that um, justice was being thwarted and, and cover, the truth was being covered up at the hands of power and politics and money and she had realized that she, Julia, was in a very unique and rare position to be able to do something about that. And so she leapt into action, you know, and undertook incredible danger to herself. And, you know, when I think about what you said, you know, she went in that line in the book, you have no idea what, what you're up against. 
she, at the beginning, she has no idea what she's up against. She has no idea yeah. that, that, that she is going a very David and Goliath story against the literal most powerful people in the country, you know, that, that, that control the halls of power, politics, money, finance, literally rule this country. And then she does realize who she's up against, and she does it anyway. And I think to myself, what do I care so much about that I would literally risk my life for? And I don't know that I could be that brave. I don't know that I could be that brave if, if my life was in danger. Um, because at the end of the day, this is her job, but it's more than that to her. It's her calling. It's her vocation. It's her avocation. And she is determined not just to get justice for Scott King, the murder victim, but to see that that justice is done because if justice is denied one person, what hopes do the rest of us have? Yeah, so, such a great such a great point. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, is on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. We're speaking to Sarah DeBello today. We're talking with her not only about her brand new book, Broadway Butterfly, but also what it's like for her to be able to share the stories of these characters. And of course, I think the larger themes here, Sarah, that you were just alluding to. So I want to ask you another, about another aspect, and that is something a lot of us in 2023 can relate to, and that is the quickness of the news cycle. Because mm. I, I never would have thought in the 1920s that would have been a thing. Uh, but it really mm-hmm. does show that people are people regardless of when we're talking about. Talk to us mm-hmm. about that because there are – it is hard to believe that – You know, of course, we all have heard the saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We love stories mm-hmm. that are glamorous. We love stories that are flashy or deal with intrigue. But we also have very short mm-hmm. attention spans. What was it like we kind of showed mm-hmm. that in this book too? I thought it was really interesting because the two guys who start the New York Daily News, who are cousins actually, and they're coming off of the media empire that you know ran the, the Chicago Tribune, and they decide you know we're going to give this a try in New York, and you know they're both serving in World War One, and they decide you know if we both get back alive, we're going to we're going to start a newspaper in New York, and they identify that the four things that people like to read about the most are um, sex money, murder, and people with money doing bad things. And it's just funny because 100 years later, it's still so true, right? You know, you, you, you think about, you know, Kim Kardashian or, you know, who's got, whoever has, you know, some scandalous thing out, who's getting divorced, who has a sex tape, who has, you know, who's cheating, who's doing, you know, sh- scandalous things. And it, it doesn't change. So I think one of the things that I've realized you know, about the, in the writing of this book and putting this book out there is it's a hundred years later and so many things have changed. You know, we have, we have television, we have, you know, incredible technology that they could never even dream of then computers, laptops, internet, you know, access, and yet nothing has changed. And I think that's really interesting because at the end of the day, humans are humans and what interests us what titillates us and fascinates us and captures our attention is, in fact, the same thing. Yeah. And the quickness of the news cycle, you know, is is that there's always someone who's going to be more beautiful, you know, Mm -hmm. more interesting, sexier, you know, got a better, you know, something that that titillates us more. And then, and then, you know, and then the news goes running after that. And it's, you know, it just is, human nature to always be seeking the next thrill, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I want to ask you another broad question, again, not to spoil anything, Sarah, here, and that is the idea of what, what justice looks like. 
Because mm. I think this is something that even we are struggling with today of mm. what justice actually is. And it, it, is, it seems like an odd question to ask, but in the world we live in today and what we even see around us, we see people have very different ideas of what that is. Did you see that as a thing going into the book, or was it something that evolved as you were kind of crafting the story? Oh, that is really – that is such a, a such a fabulous and fascinating question. And I think that, um, you know, one of, the, one of the main things that I wanted to address in this book is what is justice and what is fairness and what is just and what is fair. And I think, you know, the incredible poet Amanda Gorman said it best where she said, what just is – is not justice, you know? Yeah. And yeah. The, the simple brilliance of, of that statement has stayed with me for years. Um, she, I mean, I just admire her incredible way with, you know, words and her incisiveness. And that was something I really wanted to explore in this book, is what is, what is just and what is fair? And who gets justice? And who is entitled to justice? And so, um, you know, in this in BroadwayButterfly.King, you know, scandalous 27-year-old flapper who you know, is a white woman is found murdered in her bed in Midtown Manhattan. She is known as the most beautiful woman in New York. She runs with some very powerful and very, very dangerous people. And um, she is able, you know, she's a first-generation American. Her parents immigrated from Ireland. Her father's a night watchman at Wanamaker's, which is a department store like Kohl's or Clover or um, Macy's. And her mother's a laundress. You know, she works at a laundry and uh, eventually works her way up to owning her own laundry. But she doesn't come from anything. That king does not come from very modest background. You know, her parents move the family around from apartment to apartment a lot. You know, they don't own a home. They, you know, they're sort of a little, there's some instability there. Um, There's some, you know, housing insecurity, some financial insecurity, um, and, and she, were, she is able to use what she has, her, her wits, her, her resourcefulness, and again, her looks, because she is in a, you know, this incredibly gorgeous professional model, um, to create, you know, opportunities and almost unheard of wealth for herself. You know, three weeks before she was murdered, she deposited $10,000 in cash in one of her three bank accounts. Now, that would be about $170,000 in cash today. So she was able to, you know, create opportunity for herself in a way that was unheard of for, you know, a poor working Irish immigrant, you know, in that time. Um, and yet this woman was cut, you know, was, was murdered, was cut down, you know, in her, in the prime of her life, 27 years old. Um, and, and that crime has remained unsolved until this day, and that is not fair. And so I see it as Dot King being wronged several different ways. Number one, she was murdered. That, you know, her life was taken from her. Number two, the investigation is cut short, is, is, is cut short, curtailed, and, um, and negatively influenced by money, politics, power, and those who want this case hushed up because it doesn't look good for them. And number three... She is, she and her family and her loved ones are denied the justice. Someone 
paying for that crime. And there's no real way to pay for taking someone else's life. But, you know, we try to create the justice system so that someone serves time, you know, in prison to somehow make that, you know, to somehow pay for that. And she was denied even that. Someone, Cyrus, literally got away with murder in this case. Literally got away with murder. Walked amongst us as though he was not a killer. Had a job. Went on to, you know, have a family, have a, you know, have a marriage, have, have, have a whole life as though he was not a murderer. And that is just not fair. Um, he was not even branded as a killer. He, was, he served no time. And the, the injustice of that and, 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 and yet another way that Doc King was wronged really, really got to me um, because I don't know if you know, but I thought to myself, well, that was back then. They didn't have DNA. They didn't have technology. Surely in 2023, we, I mean, in America, you know, we must have like a really good solve right now. I, I would have guessed about 3% of murders went unsolved. Do you know what that number is, Cyrus? No, what is it? 30% of murders today in the United States of America go unsolved. And when you look at predominantly urban inner city areas like Houston, they're also predominantly black, that number rises to as high as 40%. 40% of murders can go unsolved in the United States today, despite all of the technology that we have and the sophistication of our policing system and how insane is that? That's almost half. That's almost half. You can murder someone and you have a 40% chance of getting away with it, despite street cameras, DNA, all the rest. And that really shocked me. That really shocked me. And so I thought, well, how many people are getting away with murder and walking around among us today? Have I passed them on the street that was a murderer? Have I made eye contact with them? Have I, you know, interacted with them in some way at a store or right. a restaurant? You just never know. And I, I think that really got to me. But I also wanted to explore how, the, how this was unfair to everyone else in the case. So John D. Coughlin, Detective John D. Coughlin, the head of the NYPD Detectives Unit, he is in charge of this case. He is the lead detective in this case. He is literally in charge of, of meeting out justice. That's his whole job. And yet, in ways, this case was unfair to him, and the system was unfair to him because his hands were tied due to political maneuvering and uh, and power within the within the within the the city system and that isn't fair to him because I actually believe he really did want to get justice for her and then Ella Bradford who's my my third of four characters you know uh, who was the closest friend keeper of all the secrets um and uh, and actually is the one who discovers the body of her murdered friend Dot King who's also her employer you know this is not a spoiler this is you know chapter one um right you know, how, light, how this whole case and how life wasn't fair for her because Ella Bradford is one of the 7 million black Americans who are part of what's called the Great Migration, who in the wake of the Civil War and fighting the racism of, you know, Jim Crow laws, migrated north to Chicago and northeast to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and New York. Um, between 1865 and 1975, 7 million black Americans left the South in hopes and in pursuit of a better life. And Ella Bradford is one of those, you know, one of those people. Ella Bradford sat in a quote-unquote colored waiting room in Jacksonville, Florida, to get on a quote-unquote colored train car to go north to New York, which wasn't segregated, because she was looking for a better life to, and looking to create a better life for herself. And she is brave and courageous and amazing, 
and she gets here and she gets a good job and she is making good money and she's sending money home to her family and she marries, you know, the love of her life and she has a beautiful family and then she finds herself smack dab in the middle of this murder knowing more about the victim and more about the case and giving the police more clues than anyone else in (laughs) the entire city. Yeah. And she's put in some really unfair positions. And what is justice to her and what is fair to her and what is life to her? And that's something I also really wanted to explore. And then my fourth point of view is Frances Stosbury, who is um, in, in, who, who's between Philadelphia and Palm Beach. And she is, you know, one of the wealthy members of, of what's called society, which was the celebrity culture back then, which is the wealthiest, powerful members of American society. And, you know, here's a woman who has servants, chauffeurs, butlers, maids, someone who will literally draw a bath for her. This woman does not draw her bath, her own bath. Um, And yet in ways that are completely unpredictable and shocking, she finds herself caught up in all this and, and life is not fair for her either. And so it's like something else I wanted to really look at is that no matter what you're, where you are, who you are, or what privilege you have, you almost always face some unfairness. And what does that look like and how does that play out for you? And what is the price that you will pay for that? It is a great look. That's why I said in the beginning, Sarah, so many great layers of this story that go beyond the, the murder mystery itself that definitely is timely for today. So I definitely want our audience to add Broadway Butterfly to their reading list. You will not be disappointed. Sarah, it was great talking with you. How can our audience stay connected with you and kind of keep up with what's going on with you? So, Cyrus, I am everywhere. You can head to my website, saradevelo.com. That's S-A-R-A-D as in David, I-V-E-L-L-O.com. You can find me on social media. I actually love social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, I do it all. Um, so you can, you can hit me up, slide into my DMs, um, tag me when you if you read the book. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you have questions. And I also, you know, I spent nine years researching this book, so I wanted to share a lot of that research with y'all. So I created a behind-the-scenes segment on my website, so that's saradevello.com slash behind-the-scenes. And I post real pictures of these people. You can see Ella Bradford. You can see Julia Hartman. You can see Detective Coughlin. You can see Francis. You can see everyone. You can see where they lived, where they worked. My research, you can see it all. So you can really get to know these real-life, real fabulous people. Awesome. Great job. Sarah, congratulations to you again. Really appreciate the time and looking forward to speaking with you again. Thank you so much, Cyrus. I appreciate you. Hey, glad to have you. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care. <music>